0: And we know more. But this morning, let's look into Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. Uh, There was uh, a man who was stranded on a desert island, had been stranded on that desert island all alone for many years. Finally, a ship arrived at the island and was going to rescue him. And as they came onto the beach there, they noticed that there were three huts built on the beach, which seemed odd to him. Because there was only one man stranded on the island. So they asked him, what are the huts on the, the island? And he says, well, that one in the middle, that's my house. That's where I lived. And he said, what's the one down there? Well, that's my church. All right, so you've got a house and your church. What's this one down here? That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> there are no perfect churches. Uh, there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. Uh, and that's a part of the beauty of the church, is, is that God brings into a family you know, imperfect people and joins them together and, and helps us learn to be loving and forgiving uh, with those around us as we learn to, to grow ourselves in, in Christ. But just because there are no perfect churches does not mean that there are no powerful churches. Churches where the Spirit of God is at work and people are growing and the life of God is seen. And that's what we all hope for. We all hope for a church which has the power of God, which knows God's power through his word and through his people. But those types of churches don't come just by accident. They're worked for. And so we want to look here this morning at two examples of the early church. Remember we said... Luke has given us a couple of sort of broad, great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's ask God's blessing on his word as we go forward. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word. We, we do so wanting to learn, wanting to grow, wanting to be your people. And so we ask for your blessing this morning as we do in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts, we see a great church with so much happening and, and such great growth and such power. But what we don't see in Acts is a perfect church. It's great and there's lots of things going on. There's so much we can see and learn and so much wonderful there. But it is not... Perfect. We see in Acts how the Spirit and how the Spirit's power works in, in us to make us a, a great church without perfect people, with imperfect people. And so it doesn't happen easily and sometimes the process of, of bringing this together can be hard and sometimes, like we see here in Acts 5, it can be an ugly process because of our sin and what happens as a result. In the beginning of our text this morning, in verse thirty-two, it says that God had bound their hearts together as as one. They would gather together and they would worship together. And we see here in the passage we've read two examples of this. We see a positive example of of what that looks like when it works, and we see a negative example of when our hearts of sin get in the way and and how that affects us. So this morning we want to look at this idea and how how God makes a great church with imperfect people. And so we see at the beginning that a great church is filled with great grace. Verse 33 says, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. A great church is filled with great grace because we are, you are, the recipients of, of god's grace the gospel is a message of grace it's what we preach it's what the gospel is is all about and as we would expect at the heart of this church and its growth and its power is the proclamation of the resurrection of jesus christ the the proclaiming of the gospel and the spirit is greatly empowering the apostles and the people there to to proclaim the gospel to to speak it people are getting saved and and that is wonderful and fantastic as we see the changes of life happening. Everything that happens here is a result of Jesus dying for our sin and being resurrected to life. And that is the, the message that constantly comes from the early church. People's lives are changing. The city is being shaken and, and stirred and, and people are believing in Jesus Christ as the church does what it intends to do. No church can be great without having the message of God's grace being proclaimed openly and boldly. Without the message of the gospel at its heart, it can't be anything of any value or power. People need to know what churches are about, what Christianity is about, that we are about Jesus, the Son of God, who came and, and died to pay the debt for our sin, who gives us life because of the freedom we find in his resurrection, we are about revealing that, that none of us are worthy of that acceptance by God, that we are not perfect, but by God's own grace, by his great mercy, we are forgiven and accepted by Jesus Christ and by God the Father. We are about knowing the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ as Savior. The gospel is a message of grace. And with that, it is also a message of change. It's a message of change. They are preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is at the heart of the idea of the resurrection and of what the resurrection is about? Change. It's changing who we are. The church is showing that change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ he will become new. The message of the gospel, the resurrection, is about change, that our lives have purpose beyond what we see right here in this world. That we are changed from darkness into light, that we change from death to life, that we change from being condemned to being loved. That we change from being bound in our sin to being free in Jesus Christ. And part of that change that comes when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we believe the resurrection, is that our hearts are filled with the immense love of God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us, one of the great changes that happens when we believe Jesus Christ as Savior is he fills our heart with love. The gospel is a message of, of grace. It is a message of change. It is a message of blessing. It says here in, in verse 33, it says that great grace was upon them, that God was pouring His blessings on the people of this church. And on his people. The gospel is a message of grace because it is about receiving God's favor. Not just in salvation, but every part of our life. God's great goodness is upon us. It is always upon us. And as we proclaim the gospel, we are proclaiming that people can know the full wonder of God's blessings. People can know the full wonder of God's goodness. We talked about common grace on Wednesday night, that... The the whole world, saved and unsaved alike, know some measure of God's goodness. But in the gospel, we are proclaiming that you don't just have to know some measure of God's goodness, but that by believing him and being forgiven of our sins, we can know the full measure of God's goodness. You are recipients of God's grace. And because you are recipients of God's grace, you are ministers of God's grace. Verse 34, continues, says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is being translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We are, having received God's grace, a people of grace. The work of God in our life doesn't just make us recipients of it, but ministers of the grace of God. That as we have been receivers of it, that we will give that out. Which is why Romans chapter 5, we read before, tells us that it's poured into our heart and we give that out. Our hearts are full of God's love. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. One of the things that God pours into our heart is love. The power of the resurrection in our life makes us gracious and loving people. We're called to show that love and to grow in that love. As we understand it more, what God has done in us, we understand more how to... To show that love, how to be loving, how to be gracious. Which is why Paul calls us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, walk in love. That is, pursue it. Let that be the, the way of life that you choose. We are ministers of God's grace. This is how people know that we are the people of God, Jesus says. They will know that you love me because you show love to one another. We are a people of grace. We are a people of generosity. That love comes from us into the lives of others. Here as we look at the early church, people were willingly giving what they had. You know, we notice a few things about their generosity here and the way they were giving. One, they were godly in their giving. When we understand grace, we understand this, that everything we have is not ours, but a gift of God. We understand. That's what grace means. We understand that we, don't, we are not worthy of what we have, but God gives it to us as a bounty of his goodness on us. And then in bestowing those blessings on us and giving these things to, to use, we understand as a people of grace that we are stewards of God's blessing. That what he pours into our life is not for us to just hoard and to keep, but to steward well to use wisely. They were godly in their giving. They were loving in their giving. They gave because they had genuine concern of the needs of the people around them. They saw people who had lost jobs, whose families had been torn apart because of the gospel. They saw people in need, in poverty, and they saw the need, and because of the love of their heart, they gave. They were humble in their giving. There was no demands on their giving, says they took what they gave and they gave it to the church and to the apostles to distribute as there was need. So as we see need, as long as people's needs are being met, we want to make sure that they are that is done. They were joyful in their giving. This was an act of love and of worship. The result of that is they became a people of encouragement. And that's where Barnabas here comes into as an example Barnabas is given us as an example here of encouragement. That's what his name means. They gave him that because that was his spirit. He was a man of encouragement because of the way he interacted and showed his love. Barnabas, we know a few things and we may study more about him later in in the year more particularly, but Barnabas has this this name. His real name is is Joseph or, or Joseph's, but he was given this name because he exemplified grace. He showed what it meant to be. He was rich. He was a Levite, he owned land, he was from Cyprus, so he was a rich and he was an influential person in Israel and in in the Jewish nation. But his heart wasn't for his possessions, his heart was for God. That's where his heart genuinely was, and he desired that with what God had blessed him with, that he lift others up, that he encourage them. This spirit... In the church was because the people lived out the example of Jesus it's like we know in Philippians is you don't think on your own self but think things of others they were filled with compassion they genuinely wanted to lift up the fallen a great church is filled with great grace and is filled with great fear so now we come to the negative example of what was happening there. There we have Barnabas, the, the, the great uh, example of what could be, of what could be with people who had what they had and had a desire to serve and love God. And now we come to a negative example, that yes, sin does exist even in a church like this, even in the, the perfect or almost perfect uh, way they had their beginning here. The great church is filled with great fear because we are not perfect. What we see in the example here of Ananias and Sapphira is an unnecessary lie. There was no reason for this to happen. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lie about the possession that they sold. they, They sold a land for so much, they gave part of it, but told everybody that that was all they gave it for. So they were secretly keeping some aside but telling everybody that's what it all all of it was peter makes it makes it clear that they were not expected to give the whole amount he says in in his speeches when when you had the land was it not yours to do with as you wanted of course the answer to that is yes it was their land they could do with it whatever he says when you sold the land and you had the money in your possession was that not yours to do with as you pleased as you desired yes there was no expectation that if they sold the land, they had to give all of the proceeds to the church. That was not the expectation. The giving was voluntary. It was out of the generousness of their heart. It was as they need. We know that if we're to be good stewards of what God gives us, it doesn't mean that we have to give everything away. That all we have is, is to meant to be given away because God calls us to be good stewards for our family to provide for what they need. God calls us to provide for the futures of ourselves and our families as well as helping others in need. So there's never been an expectation on God's people that everything we have must be given away, but rather that the heart we have with what we have is one of generosity and grace and good stewardship. So the problem here wasn't that they didn't give it all, The problem was they wanted everyone to think they gave it all. That's the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. And there was no reason for them to lie. There was no reason for him because nobody had the expectation that it should be that way. Peter says to him in verse three says, You've given in to the temptations of Satan. You lied. You didn't need to do it, but you gave in to the temptation of Satan. We need to beware of the temptations. The temptations that come. Your know, hypocrisy is a real danger in the people of God. Often it's hypocrisy which is used against the people of God. They I don't want to go to that church or I don't want to be involved with Christians because they're all just a bunch of, of hypocrites. And it's true that sometimes that is absolutely true and it is a, a, a damning truth to us, but usually what people mean when they say, oh, I don't want anything to do with them because they're a bunch of hypocrites, usually what they mean is, you can't tell me I'm a sinner. And that's usually what it comes down to, not that uh, we, they actually believe we're hypocrites or not, just that we don't want them to be pointed out as being hypocrites. We're all tempted to greed. We're all tempted to pride and to self. It comes by the sinful nature that we have. We're all tempted to make ourselves appear better or to appear more spiritual than what we really are. And Ananias and Sapphira are the opposite of what God was developing in the church and what God was working to in the church and continues to work in God's people, of a heart of grace and generousness. None of us are immune to that temptation. We must grow in grace. But we also learn here, one, not that we see that we are not perfect. We, we understand that. We see that example here. And, and we, I think it's great for us to see that at this early stage of the church. Because sometimes when we start reading the beginning of Acts and we see the, the power of this church and how it goes, we think, wow, what an amazing place to be. It was like it was a perfect environment to be in. But it wasn't. They have the same struggles and the same issues and the same temptations that we do. But what it is also a reminder of is that we are in God's presence. God is really present. You know, notice, and we've talked about this in our talking over the Holy Spirit. Notice that Peter doesn't say to them that they lied to him or that they lied to the church. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to the Spirit. They did lie to Peter and they did lie to the church, but ultimately they lied to God. And the point that Peter is trying to draw out is it's not just a group of people here you're talking to. God is present. The Spirit knows. I mean, how else does Peter know what's going on? The Spirit has uniquely and remarkably uh, given him this understanding. The episode here reminds us that nothing is done, nothing is done that God does not see or hear or know. When we gather in worship, as we are right here now, we gather in the very real presence of God. God is here, truly, really, powerfully present And just like in this episode here with Ananias and Sapphira, God sees what is in our heart. God sees what we bring to worship. He knows when I'm here for my glory. He knows when I'm wearing a mask for outward show. Actually, maybe that's not the best expression this morning, given that we're all wearing masks. (laughs) He knows we're trying to hide something or pretend to be something we're not when we come at those times? What are we bringing to worship? Because when we come to worship thinking that we can hide behind an a, a, a example or, a, or pretend to be something we're not, sure, we may fool each other, but we don't fool God. God knows what our worship is. God doesn't expect us to come to him in perfection. So God isn't expecting us to gather together as the people of God and be perfect. What he does expect from his people is that we come before him in truth. Not hiding, not pretending, not trying to to trick God or trick God's people, but just be truthful with who God is. Jesus said it to the, the woman at the well, that we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. What are we bringing to worship? So we need to heed the warning. Heed the warning that comes with Ananias and Sapphira. Now, thankfully, God doesn't use pastors to strike people down in church anymore. That, uh, In fact, I think this is the only instance where we see that happen uh, at all in, in Scripture. And uh, that is good for every single one of us because that would be a horrible disaster given that we are sinful people. But though God doesn't do that, there is no doubt. We see it even further in in Scripture. 1 Corinthians gives us an example of it. We see it through history and some examples that there is no doubt that people do die because of the sin they bring and hide in worship of God. The lesson we need to learn, and some of the things we need to heed in the warnings here of Ananias and Firah is one, we need to take God seriously. That's what it means when the church feared God. So when it says to us in verse 5 and then again in verse 11, so great fear came upon them, is an expression to us to tell us that we need to take God seriously. To give him the respect and the honor that he deserves as God. And if we're going to take God seriously, it means we need to take sin seriously. Sin is no joke. God did not save us from our sin so that we could continue in it. Paul lays that very thought out in Romans chapter 6. Did God save you from sin so that you could continue in it? Don't be ridiculous, he says. Jesus did not die for sin to make a showy act. He had to die for sins because that is what sin deserves, death. One of the lessons that we need to, to learn and heed is to take God and sin seriously. But secondly, as we see here, that the purity of the church is important. The church and churches Represent Jesus Christ to the world. We show who God is to the world. We don't reveal Christ and we don't reveal the gospel by acting like the world. A disciplined church that is genuinely pursuing Christ is a great witness to the world. We're not perfect, but genuinely and openly pursuing God. Pursuing God for his glory. A great church is filled with great grace. A great church is filled with great fear. And finally, a great church has a great witness. The last section we read from verse 12 through verse 16 shows some of the aftermath of this event. What continues afterwards. And what we see as we go along, one is that the church was strengthened. Pardon me, the church was strengthened in courage. Think about where we are here. So verse uh, verse 12 and, and 13 and on show us the great works that God was doing through the apostles and through the church as the gospel went out. And salvation was happening. People were getting saved here. We go back to where we finished the, the last time we were in Acts at the end of Of uh, verse 30 well even in verse 33 here and it tells us what were they preaching they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ as they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ God was working through them and doing wonders and people were getting saved we go back to chapter 4 in the middle verse 17 and 18 we are reminded again that when Peter and John were captured they were released with these instructions don't Ever speak of Jesus' name again? And what are they doing? They are speaking in Jesus' name. They are proclaiming the gospel. They are speaking of the resurrection. And in the verses that follow here in uh, in Acts chapter five, we find there are three results which happen. Uh, the first thing we see, and we'll, we'll see more of that as we go further in in Acts chapter five here, is some people, particularly like the Sadducees and the Pharisees grew in their opposition to the church so as they saw what was happening the opposition grew stronger and more fierce what we find in verse 12 and 13 here is another thing that happened is many of the jews kind of kept their distance so as the christians would gather at the temple on solomon's porch the people would kind of stand back and and watch but not really want to be associated with them they kind of just keep an eye on them but it tells us also that they had great respect for them So despite what had happened, the people may have kept a little bit of distance, but they had great respect for the people of God there. And the result was, it tells us, many were being saved. Many were being saved. They were strengthened in their courage and they were strengthened in their testimony. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you would think that if you saw a gathering of people who... saying they worship God, and that in the worship of that God, a husband and wife come in and drop dead. You would think that people would go, that's a religion I don't want to be involved in. That seems a little bit odd. That seems just not right. And it would hinder the growth of the church and of Christianity, but it did the exact opposite. The result is the church grew and expanded and more people were getting saved people knew what happened and they still came people knew what happened and they still believed why why would that happen because it shows that what was being preached was true That what they were saying about God and about Jesus and about sin and salvation was absolutely true. That God does take sin seriously. That that Jesus did need to die for sin and that we do need to be saved from sin. That it is a serious thing. God grows churches when his people are filled with great grace and great fear. This is where the genuineness of the gospel is seen. And just as the church is strengthened... The church grows. God answers prayer. Remember in Acts 4.31, it says after that Peter and John were released, they gathered together and they prayed for boldness. It says the Holy Spirit came and filled them and he shook the room where they were at. And they went out and preached the gospel. The answer to that prayer in Acts chapter 4.31 for boldness wasn't a cool experience. The answer to their prayer wasn't that the room shook and it gave them Courage. The answer to their prayer was the work of God in their lives. The answer to their prayer was that they did have boldness to speak the gospel, to stand up for truth, to do what was right. The church grew because they had a desire for the glory of God and the salvation of his people. We have that same desire. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people need to know salvation and the glory of God. Or are we looking for a cool experience? Speak the gospel with power. Believe that it is the power of God to salvation. And God enables his people. He empowered the apostles and he empowered the people. And though it may look different today, God still empowers his people to proclaim salvation. When we pursue Christ and when we fight sin in our midst, God works. There is no perfect church, not until eternity. But that doesn't mean that there is no powerful church. Every church on earth can be great. Great churches are churches that are filled with great grace, that is, that we know what we have received. We know the grace of God and then we live out that grace of God by being deeply committed to love and graciousness and generosity. Great churches are filled with great fear that we honor and respect God, that we take him seriously and that we take sin seriously. Great churches that are filled with great grace and great power will be churches that have a great Testimony. What is our part in making this church a great church? To proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing people saved. We're not going to have any closing songs this morning or anything like that. Um, we'll uh, have a word of prayer here as we, we close and respond to God and, and read a, a benediction. And that will be our, our morning of worship. And I pray that we will... Heed the warnings of Acts chapter five. Let, let's pray together, our heavenly Father. We come and we we come to you, humbled, dear God and Lord. It, it's it's hard coming to passages like this because they are so confronting. Both the positive and the negative examples. We we want to be, we want to be like Barnabas we want to be a people that lift each other up that are known and 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 even given names as it were that that we are recognized by the grace of God in our lives but we know dear God that that is not always easy and at times we are like Ananias and Sapphira hiding behind our own desires and our own selfishness. And dear God, we, we ask now, please purify us, forgive us of our sins. Open our eyes to where we need to be corrected and change. Because dear God, what, what we want above all is that our lives would be testimonies of grace and respect and awe of you, so that above all things, People will know your salvation. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.